Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or whenever you may be listening. Welcome to episode 33 of the Hang Time with Helgi podcast. I'm your host, Luke Algerson. You know how we do it. Five topics, unpopular opinion. Let's get right into it. Topic number one, game one, World Series, Los Angeles Dodgers versus the Tampa Bay Rays. Tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern time on Fox. It's going to be a good World Series. I think it's going to be very competitive. Both of these teams, I think it's the best two teams we could possibly get. I think no matter what, the Rays were the best team in the AL. Dodgers, best team in the National League. It doesn't always work that way. No, you might always assume, yeah, there's a reason that they won. No, there were better teams some years. But no, the Rays were the definitive best team. They had the best record during the regular season. They had the one seed, bing, bang, boom, all the way to the World Series. Dodgers, same thing. You know, they had their struggles. Yes, they had to fight for it. It wasn't easy. It was easier for the Rays than it was the Dodgers, but it's going to be a competitive series. It's going to come down to a couple of things. First of all, the Dodgers are loaded. You could just look down the roster. If you know anything about baseball, you know who's on the Los Angeles Dodgers. Mookie Betts, second best player in the world. Cody Bellinger, great player. Max Muncy, Co- Corey Seager, Will Smith, Justin Turner, I mean, Jock Peterson, A.J. Pollock. The team is stacked. Chris Taylor, I don't know what to tell you. They definitely have the best lineup top to bottom, for sure. Pitching staff also does its thing, too. But that's what I think is going to be the difference maker. What are these bullpens going to do? Still fantastic rotations all around. I think big difference maker in the starting position world for both of these teams, Clayton Kershaw. I mean, I like the Rays rotation way more than I like the Dodgers rotation, if we're being honest. I mean, just look at it. Look at the starting pitchers. Charlie Morton, this Tyler Glasnow guy, he's great. Blake Snell, just no names on this pitching staff for the race. And their entire roster in general. I mean, when you really think about it, if you didn't have it right in front of you, could you really name four people on their team? No. No, you couldn't. Even I think baseball fans who pay attention don't even know, unless they've been watching of late. I mean... Kevin Kiermeyer, G-Man Choi is my favorite player on this team. He's awesome. I, just top to bottom, like this Randy Azareno guy, where did he come from? Where are these players coming from? How, are, how is Tampa Bay able to construct this roster of no names? No disrespect to them. They're playing unbelievable, incredible, but they are no names. If you really think about it, it's Tampa Bay. Who pays attention to the Rays? Not even people who live there pay attention. They don't do bad. The local TV ratings, if you look at it ratings-wise throughout the league, they're like middle of the pack. So that matters for something. But the attendance is the worst. But that's only because it's a terrible stadium in a terrible location. No one wants to go there. Yeah, they're in... It's the Tampa Bay Rays, but that stadium is in St. Pete, which is like 45 minutes from downtown Tampa. And at that, it's the worst stadium in professional sports by far. Just go there. I've been. It is a shithole. 
<laughs> Terrible. It has a white roof for a game that is played with a white ball that's hit in the air. Like, come on. It's held together with duct tape. You can look across the stadium if you're in the upper deck, and you can see it. In, there, in areas of that stadium, there is tape. Like, this organization of all the years to win a World Series, it would be this organization's <laughs> <laughs> when no one can go, when they're actually a good team and we could see if it's for real, if the fan base is actually legit and goes out to games. But, <laughs> I mean, wow, just no names. Really, they have no names. And guys who just play well together, I, just look at the salaries between both of these teams. Dodgers, their payroll for this year, $107, $107 million. <laughs> Maui, wowie, that is a lot of money. The Rays, third lowest payroll, $28 million. Noted that the Dodgers have the second highest payroll when speaking about their salaries, but it is incredible. The difference between these two teams is actually not as great as you think. Yeah, Dodgers have a super high payroll. A lot of guys get paid, and deservedly so. You know, they're paying bets, big money. They're playing Kershaw, big money. They're giving out a lot of money to a lot of players, but it is homegrown talent when you really look at it. Cody Bellinger, they drafted him. You know, Jock Peterson drafted him. They drafted a lot of these guys. Kenley Jansen drafted him. Uh, Will Smith drafted him. Corey Seager drafted him. It's a lot of homegrown talent. Yeah, they got a high payroll. And this is because of one guy in particular, the general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. His name is Andrew Friedman. And yeah, like I said, currently the GM of the Los Angeles Dodgers, where he previously worked the Tampa Bay Rays. How interesting is that? As a matter of fact, this guy won executive of the year in 2008, and they just so happened to go to the World Series that year. Yeah, they lost, but they at least got there. And this guy's shown he knows how to draft talent, pick guys out. A lot of guys come from the Rays. You know, you might call them like the farm system of just like, okay, we get the young guys. They play from the age of about 21 till 25, 26 here, and then they move on and we ship them out and then we bring in the next prospects. I mean, right now they have the number one prospect in baseball and he might make his debut here in the World Series. Both of these teams know how to draft extremely well and set their teams up for the future. And it's paying dividends right now in the shortened season, in the extended playoffs. This is what happens when you have a lot of depth and a lot of talent. Both of these teams have that. It's going to be a very competitive World Series. I'm looking forward to it. Plan on watching every game if I am able to do so. Definitely going to be watching tonight. Tune in. But we'll get my pick right now. Who's going to win the World Series? Dodgers have more talent. They have the bigger names. They have the bigger payroll. <laughs> but I'm going to go with the underdog here. Give me the Tampa Bay Rays. You know, I like the underdog here. A team that has nothing to lose. This is the Dodgers' year, supposedly. All the pressure is on the Dodgers. Dave Roberts, after they won Game 7 against the Braves, he said, this is our year. Yelling it there in the stadium. This is our year. We're doing it right here, right now, there in Arlington, Texas, at the new Rangers Stadium. 
That's right. He said it. All the pressure is on them. They have the most talent. They have the bigger names, bigger payroll, like I've said. All the pressure is on the Dodgers. Ray's coming in here. No one knows who we are. Let's let them know who we are. Give me the Rays. I like their rotation more. I like the pitchers that they have. Kershaw is going to be a difference maker, I think, and blow up like he usually does. But Dodgers do have a lot of talent. It's going to go six or seven games, no doubt about it. I would even say I'm for sure saying that it will go seven. It'll come down to the wire. What really is going to be difference maker? Pitching, defense. I, that's what it's going to come down to. It's not going to be who can score the most runs. It's who can give up the least amount of runs in this situation. Who can put together the at-bats? Because the pitching is going to be fantastic. I think we're going to see pitching duels, low-scoring games. That's what kind of World Series this is going to be. Grinded out baseball. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited for it. Let's go. Let's go, Rays. You know, supporting the Florida teams. Support them. You know, and when you think about it, Tampa Bay, they are in the spotlight this year. They got three professional sports teams there. And three of them are doing their thing. Like when you think about it, Tampa Bay Lightning won the Stanley Cup. Tampa Bay Rays are in the World Series. And we know Tom Brady's in Tampa Bay with the Bucks. They just had a dominant win. We'll get to that shortly. But they're doing great as well. So Tampa Bay, you got to love the sport teams that you got. And in Florida, <laughs> I live so close. I I want to go to a game. But this virus, man. Anyways, moving on. Topic number two. Let's get into the NFL. You know, we just got off week six after Monday Night Football yesterday. We'll get into the four biggest games of the weekend. The four most notable games to me this weekend. Let's start with my Chicago Bears. That's right, beating the Carolina Panthers. (laughs) Five and one. Five and one. This defense is incredible. Forget the offense. I'm not, I don't even worry about it anymore. At this point, in the defense, I trust because there's no reason to even think that the offense can get it done. I have no faith in Nick Foles, but this defense will carry us. That concerns me comes playoff time, but that's what I think it is. It was a sloppy game. 23 16, you might not think so, but. The Bears could have played a lot better. They did get the W, though. 5-1, and one, top of the division, with the Packers losing, Vikings struggling, Lions struggling. The Bears are in first place. As a matter of fact, the Bears have as many wins combined as the NFC East does as a division whole. That's right. Combined Cowboys, Eagles, Washington football team, and Giants record. Yeah, their no- total number of wins adds up to the Bears. I'm in shock. I really can't believe it. Five and one. As a fan, I'm thrilled, but seeing it for the future, I'm definitely concerned. I mean, the offense still just doesn't look great. I mean, Foles is better than Trubisky, but at the end of the day, can they really get it done? I mean, Foles, 23 for 39, 198 yards, one TD, one interception. I mean, how is that any different from Trubisky's stat lines? Be honest. I trust Foles more. A little more of a game manager can make the easy throws. Trubisky, just inconsistent. But stat line right there is not much better. You know, David Montgomery, 19 carries, 58 yards. Allen Robinson, there's talent. There's talent there. I just, I'm worried about the offense. 
So, see, I'm excited we're five and one, but as seen for the few, I see the inevitable. They make the playoffs with double digit wins, and then we play one of the good teams and we lose. Hopefully, we play the Saints. That's what I'm banking on the bear, what happens. The Bears need to play the Saints because the Saints always blow it in the postseason. Drew Brees never comes through. That's when Nick Foles can strike. Give me a team like the Saints. Someone like that who's weak. Better yet, let us play the team in the NFC East that makes it. That would be preferable because they're going to host a playoff game. At this point, let the Packers win the division, get the wild card, play the team that has to, <laughs> that's going to win that dreadful division. There's the Bears' best strategy. But I, I see the future, but I'm excited. Go Bears, go. The other game that really interests me, um, obviously the Packers against the Bucks. Bucks look great. Tom freaking Brady still getting it done. I, against Aaron Rodgers, they I watched the whole game. They went up quick. The Packers did 10-0. And typical Tampa Bay, you know, would give up that, would surrender right there. Jameis would <laughs> Jameis would be Jameis in that situation. They would rattle. The defense would fold to the better quarterback in Aaron Rodgers, and that would be the end of it. That would be the end of the game. But no, because Tampa Bay now has Tom Brady, who can just is a wizard at the quarterback position. I'm, it changes the dynamic of the team altogether. They're 4-2. and two. Yeah, they did lose to my Bears, but on a Thursday night when they committed the most penalties. The, this weekend, zero penalties. Zero. Not one single penalty. That's how it happened. And Aaron Rodgers was bad. The bad man was bad. 16 for 35, 160 yards, two picks. Oh, the, the turnovers, they couldn't move the ball at all. Aaron Jones, 10 carries, 15 yards, one touchdown. It was their only touchdown. They couldn't do anything. Devontae Adams was contained. Aaron Jones couldn't do anything out of the back. I mean, the, the Bucks showed me that this defense is really good. And they're definitely a Super Bowl team. There's a reason, if you listen to the last episode, that I said if I was given $10,000, I would put it on the Bucks. This game showed me why. Because the Packers are definitely going to find themselves in the playoffs. Packers are, are a playoff team. And I don't think fluke, they're not a fluke. They're good enough to be there. This is the kind of competition the Bucks are going to face. And they are not intimidated. And they don't get rattled. It shows that they could show, they got that intestinal fortitude to come back from a deficit. That's what that shows me. Week one, look, they, they have struggled with injuries. The Bucks have. Mike Evans has been out. Chris Godwin has been out. They signed Leonard Fournette. He's been out. Ronald Jones has stepped up nicely. Tom Brady was a little off, learning the offense, understanding what Bruce Arians wants to do, what these wide receivers are capable of. It was going to take time for this team. They're definitely a double-digit win team. They're dangerous. Next game against the Raiders. I expect them to just get, keep getting better. They're going to keep getting better. That's the kind of team they are. I mean, Brady just, he just did his thing out there. 17 for 27, 166 yards, two touchdowns. Ronald Jones ran all over this Packers defense. I mean, they, the Bucks imposed their will. The Packers offense could not do anything. The front line was breaking down the entire game for the Packers. 
The pass rush was getting to him, and Dominican Sue was getting in the face of Aaron Rodgers, bringing up old rivalries from the NFC North when Sue used to be on the Lions. Oh, Sue plays dirty, and he goes right at the stars. It's what he does. It's his nature, but it's good to see. It's what the Bucks need. They need to play with heart. They need to play with passion, and they play with a lot more. Four and two. As for the Packers, like I said, I expect them to be a playoff team. They're going to fight for the top of the division with the Bears. It's not going to be easy. <sighs> Let's see. Uh, it's just Aaron Rodgers. You know, this is what it is. If you get a pass rush on him and get a lead on him, he's not coming back. If you pressure him, make things difficult for him, just like any quarterback, though. You could say the same thing about Brady. It's the reason he lost Super Bowls. You put pressure on him. That's the difference. You put pressure on the superstar quarterbacks, and they're in trouble. Now, Rodgers, definitely more mobile. That's the way the game's going. You know, Russell Wilson can get out of those situations. Patrick Mahomes, guys can do that. But stand there in the pocket, if you get pressure on a guy, it's going to make a difference no matter what, no matter who you are. Pass rush matters. It's a big part of the game, and they were all over Rodgers. It might be a problem going forward. Something to look out for. Maybe a little hole in the Packers is that offensive front because it <laughs> they struggled against the Bucks. I mean, it was dreadful. They got out to an early lead, and then from that point on, it was they didn't do anything. They didn't move the ball one bit. They were no threat the rest of the game. Not one. Not one bit. So go Bucks. Go Bucks. The other game, let's talk about one of the Monday night games that happened yesterday. Chiefs, Bills, Patrick Mahomes. It's just, what do you expect from the Chiefs? There's a Super Bowl champions. Yeah, got to bounce back from that loss against the Raiders. You know, it happens. It's the National Football League. It's not going to be easy. It's still the Chiefs, though. They are just showing that they are this team. And, you know, I thought the Bills were going to be this team, but this is, this is what happens. You play against the good teams and you struggle. The Bills started out 4-0, have lost back-to-back. Look, it happens. You go against the best competition, you got a young quarterback. It's, it's part of the growing pains of the NFL. It what happened week to week when you come to that. There's no reason to jump, hit the panic button on the Bills. Still got a good defense, still a talented team. Josh Allen has to play better. Plain and simple, has to play better, can't make mistakes, has to be more consistent with his passes. That's really make or break for the Bills. It's all about their quarterback play because the defense is going to keep them in games. But for the Chiefs, I mean, 5-1, and one, Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league. I mean, this team is just really unfair now that they're adding Le'Veon Bell. <laughs> they are the juggernaut of the league. I understand there are other, the Steelers are undefeated, but the Chiefs are the true favorite. If you look at it across the board, yeah, they have the most talent. They're the best team. They're the most well-rounded they're the favorite. They have no holes, no holes in the game. Absolutely none. I mean, Tyreek Hill has been a little quiet, which is shocking, but they have talent everywhere. Mahomes can make anyone good. They have a lot of talent. It's, they're the Chiefs. They showed their dominance yesterday. It, it wasn't a pretty game. You know, it was raining, you know, but... He made it look easy. Uh, <laughs> five incompletions in a game where there was rain. I, I'm just, I'm ba- it's baffling. 
it's baffling how good he is. And I like Allen. He struggled the past two weeks, but I like his game. I like where the Bills are. That division is still theirs. I mean, the Patriots, you know, they're down to two and three. Miami's three and three. But the Bills, that's your division. You should go out and win it. I don't see why they couldn't. They better. (laughs) They better because they're they're the most talented team in that division, for sure. As for the Chiefs, Super Bowl favorites. It's what they do. The other game and the other Super Bowl favorite that I didn't mention when I mentioned undefeated teams was probably the best game of the weekend. Absolutely. It went to overtime, no doubt about it. The Houston Texans against the Tennessee Titans. I mean, the Titans have looked great. And I, I'll give respect to Ryan Tannehill. I have never liked him in when, when he was with Miami. And he was always hurt, inconsistent. He just it was a typical Dolphins quarterback after Dan Marino of just not having success and not being great. Here in Tennessee, my goodness. It really is just validating to me that Adam Gates is the worst NFL head coach in the league. It should already be noted. Jets haven't won a game, of course, and he's the head coach. But my, and other coaches do have worse records than him overall coaching-wise. But, wow. I mean, the way Tannehill is playing, I understand. They have the best running back in the league. I mean, they give it to Derrick Henry. He's a man amongst boys out there running for 94-yard touchdown runs. Oh, the game was just back and forth. I really thought the Texans had it. I mean, why they went for two? Why try to put the game away? Put the pressure on them to force overtime. Oh, this is what happened. So the Texans, they went up seven with a touchdown. So they went for a two-point conversion, obviously giving them a nine-point win, making it a two-nine-point uh, game, making it a two-possession game, of course. Yeah, but why not just kick the extra point to put you up eight to force the other team to have to go for two to tie it to force overtime? And nope, they elected to go for two, seven-point game. That way you only need to score the touchdown, extra point, a little easier. I would have gone with the easy route, go up eight, force them to go for the two-point conversion, make it tough on them. But maybe that wouldn't have made a difference with Derrick Henry. I mean, they're doing direct snaps to him, and he's winning the game. Uh, He is a beast. He is a monster in the backfield. Uh, It is incredible. 22 carries, 212 yards, two touchdowns. (laughs) The guy is the best running back in the league. Hands down, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. At this point, he's worth every penny. He's, play- he's playing unbelievable. Uh, he cannot be stopped. Not be stopped. I mean, they're hyping him up right now. I know uh, one of the best running backs of all time. I mean, we'll see. Keep putting in the work, and maybe he could be that one day. The way he's playing right now, he's playing spectacular. I expect it to continue with the Titans. 5-0. and oh. I mean, the COVID kids themselves, thats they're going to get fined. They're getting fined. They're not getting draft picks taken away or anything like that, but they're going to get fined. Little repercussions for all the COVID scares. I, at least they've shown the NFL, that is, that they can bounce back from a team getting COVID. Like, they know the proper po- protocols. They might have to add an extra bye week if a team happens to get it again or a couple other teams at that. 
I mean, it's. I think it's the reason the Patriots struggled. Cam Newton had COVID, couldn't practice all week. They struggled offense. I mean, COVID is going to have an impact on the game, but Titans are working through it. I mean, they had a short week. I mean, they just beat the Bills the week before and handily at that. I think they dominated the Bills, a playoff team. I think the Texans are good enough to be a playoff team had Bill O'Brien not been the coach the entire year. I mean, if they had fired him in the offseason and brought in a real coach with real understanding, yeah, I don't think they'd be one in five. But these Titans, they're showing me something. I'll give my respect to Tannehill. I didn't believe it. I, re- I really didn't. I didn't think he was going to be this good when you really think about it. Definitely a top 10 quarterback in the league this season right now, no doubt about it. You could argue for sure top five. Top five, depending on where you think Brady is in the realm of the world, depending on how you feel about Rodgers at this point in time after the game against the Bucks. I mean, one game doesn't dignify a player. I would rank Tannehill at six. I would still say Mahomes, Wilson, um, Rodgers, Brady, and I would say Jackson because he's won MVP and the Ravens are great this year again and are going to be another playoff team. I would say he's there at six. He sits solidly right there behind those five guys. And I think that's fair. 5-0, and oh, he's played great. Had another big game. I know the Texas defense isn't great, but 364 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, it was by far the best game of the weekend. High scoring, back and forth, went to overtime. Henry d- just did his thing, carried them to the finish line. It was a great game. Showed the dominance of the Texans. They're a dangerous team, extremely dangerous. They made it to the AFC Championship game last year. I don't think that was a fluke. They're showing this year that wasn't. Playing great. you got to watch out for them. Those, those were the most interesting games and really the only ones worth talking about. Moving on, topic number three. There is a new head coach for the Los Angeles Clippers. That's right, Tyron Lue the former Cavaliers head coach who got them a championship in 2016 with the help of LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, and the cast that is the Cleveland Cavaliers. He is now the newest head coach of the Los Angeles Clippers. Big deal, five-year deal. Going to get a nice, hefty paycheck for sure. He's a good coach. Definitely deserving of being a head coach. He's shown that he can coach LeBron and be successful and win championships, LeBron. LeBron has a big impact as a player. Is the biggest brand in the game of basketball today for sure. If you want to count Michael Jordan ahead of him at that, I'm saying as a player who's playing right now. We can go with that. LeBron James. It's not easy to be in the locker room with him. David Blatt didn't survive the numerous Cleveland Cavalier coaches, Mike Brown and the crew. Uh, There's a reason they don't survive. Because LeBron is difficult. Spolstra almost didn't survive LeBron, but he figured it out. Pat Riley asserted that Spolstra can do it. He's the guy. It's not easy having LeBron in the locker room with you to, co- to coach him. But Tyron Lue has shown that you can, he can coach superstars. He can coach egos. This goes with Kyrie Irving. He, he seems as if he is maybe someone not who's difficult, but someone who could be a bit of a problem in the locker room. I don't, just look at his track record. Needless to say, though, Tyron Lue has shown that he can get the best out of those guys, work together, that he can, that it's his team, that he's in charge. He can do that with the Clippers. That means 
Kawhi Leonard can't just take 20 games off a year. And that's not what that means. He's not getting preferential treatment with Tyron Lue being the head coach. This goes, the same goes with Paul George. This goes for the entire Clippers team. No one's getting preferential treatment. I think that's what the difference between great coaches are. No player is above the team. That's how it should be treated. I feel like Tyron Lue's that kind of guy. Doc Rivers, a little more lackadaisical, lets the stars kind of run the team, I feel like. Players, coach, you know, guys like him, very respectable amongst the league. I feel like Tyron Lue, a little more assertive, knows how to work with the superstars, though. That championship-level coach, he's got the same amount of championship as Doc Rivers, and he's won more playoff series recently than Doc Rivers. Needless to say. (laughs) <laughs> Tyron Lue deserves to be a head coach I think he'll do a good job I still don't think they're going to beat the Lakers I mean, but the guy to bring in Yeah, you bring in a former coach of LeBron Does he know how to beat him? Does he know the secrets of LeBron? No, he doesn't I think he knows some things But LeBron's always going to get better LeBron is has one of the highest basketball IQs ever For a player, coach, anyone associated with the game He's only going to get better, but it only helps your team to bring in a coach who knows and has been in the locker room with the best player in the world and the guy you got to dethrone. Like, that's what it is. Lakers, Clippers, that's what we were supposed to get in the Western Conference Finals. Everyone said it. Everyone said the Clippers are the better team. So many people picked the Clippers over the Lakers. It it was unbelievable that no one believed in this Lakers team. Uh, Such an unorthodox team with the the likes of LeBron, Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard, Rajon Rondo, Kyle Kuzma, Danny Green, KCP, uh, JaVale McGee. The list goes on. They brought in J.R. Smith and Dion Waiters for the bubble. I just, the, (laughs) the crew of players, yeah, very unorthodox team. Alex Caruso, can't forget him. You know, just so many characters on this team. They put it together. They made it work. Clippers, they have the same number of notable guys. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Patrick Beverly, Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams. Uh, Very recognizable names, and one team got it done and one didn't. (laughs) So, needless to say, that's the reason the Clippers hired Tyron Lou to beat LeBron. It's the only decision it was. That's why Doc Rivers is no longer the coach because he didn't even get a face LeBron. He's moving on. This is the reason. Clippers have not... Their championship is beating the Lakers because it's a Lakers town. Los Angeles will always be a Lakers town. In my opinion, they really should move the Clippers to San Diego. I know Steve Ballmer just bought the some lot of land to build their own stadium so they're not playing at the Staples Center where the Lakers are, seeing those banners every day and knowing that you never made it to a conference finals. I mean, you got to get out of there. It's a Laker town. Go somewhere where you're appreciated. No one cares for the Clippers, but this is why they did it. This is the move they made. I think it's a good move. I think Tyron Lue is just as good a coach as Doc Rivers, if not better. He knows how to work with superstars. I think he can get it done. Not necessarily this year or next year or the year after that, because I think the Lakers are the favorite for at least the next two, three years. I mean, he's got a good coaching record. He's won a championship, made it to made it to the finals before. Yeah, on the coattails of LeBron James. Had LeBron not been on those teams, they would not have made it to the finals. But 
because LeBron was on that team and Tyron Lue knows how to coach around LeBron James. Yeah, that's why they got there. That's why they won the championship. So good hire by the Clippers. Topic number four, another NBA move as far as management-wise that we need to talk about. Daryl Morey uh, steps down as Rockets GM after they let go of Mike D'Antoni, who is now looking for a coaching job. Daryl Morey, Audi 5000. Uh, This Rockets team is going to be drastically different. Do they trade Russ? Do they trade Harden? No. Harden is untouchable for sure. If you can trade Russ, Russ has been in trade rumors, and the trade free agency starts December 1st. Remember that. Moves will be made. They're going to get a new coach, new general manager. Things are changing in Houston. Like These Rockets are going to be uh, – they're not going to be running gun. That'll be part of it because they have two players who can get out and run, make things happen in transition with Harden, Westbrook. They got talent to do that. They have athletes, but they need to bring in size. They need to bring in a center. I'm sure the new coach or GM, whoever brings that person in, whoever they bring in, they have to get size. That's the only way you're going to be able to compete with the Lakers. Lakers shown with what you have to be able to slow down LeBron. You have to. You need bodies to be able to throw at him. Uh, Anthony Davis, you, you, need, you need guys who can get in front of him. I know it's difficult. You're not stopping anybody, but you need to make something happen. And that's what the Rockets are going to do. They're going to make changes, big changes coming soon. Um, I don't really know who's going to be their head coach. I, they could go a number of different ways. I mean, do they bring back Jeff Van Gundy? Do they bring in an assistant coach that we've never heard of coming from the likes of the Popovich, Nick Nurse, whatever tree of basketball coaches you want to talk about, wherever they're coming from? I mean, maybe they hire a fo- like a Mark Jackson type. You know, maybe they give a former player who hasn't been a coach before like Chauncey Billups. You know, Steve Nash got a job. Why not give Chauncey Billups a chance? He wants to get into coaching. Um, you know, they could go... It's really unpredictable at this point because their team is going to change. They honestly need to hire the coach and GM at the same time. They really do. It needs to be a simultaneous hire so they can have agreed upon things coming into the season because they need to be a brand new team. Like the D'Antoni system isn't going to fly with the next coach or general manager. You can believe that. But I'm talking about Daryl Morey stepping down. I mean, he he was, he did it. He bought into the analytics of basketball. He was so bought in. Very smart guy, very knowledgeable. But this wheel and deal mentality of just trading big contracts, signing guys, living by the three, dying by the three, playing small ball, trying to run, just it doesn't work when you're playing against giants. You know, there's a reason basketball players are tall. Uh, they need to be able to get to the basket. Uh, that's why it's different. You know, when you got P.J. Tucker going against the likes of the Anthony Davis, <laughs> the Jokic of the world, the Embiid's of the world, the Gobert's of the world, I mean, P.J. Tucker isn't going to stand a chance. He is a scrappy player and does what he can on the floor, and he is a very good defensive player. But, my goodness, you can't have him guarding centers. He needs to be guarding forwards and guards. He needs to be guarding all other four positions besides centers. Covington, too. 
all four other positions they can guard, not center. Uh, this Rockets team is going to change. They need to make a simultaneous hire, or maybe hire a president of basketball operations who then brings in his own coach of who he wants to bring in. That's how the situation needs to work because they, they have two superstars whose championship window is closing by the year. I mean, do we really see James Harden and Russell Westbrook winning a championship together? As currently constructed, absolutely not. Could they make some moves to get better? Absolutely. I mean, already just off the top of my head, Dino Gallinari would be perfect for the, for the Rockets. You just need to bring in a center. That's going to be key for them. That just need to bring in size, people who can defend the rim, go run in transition. Like honestly, they better hope the situation with the Cavs and Andre Drummond and the contract extension there falls through so they can get Drummond. Uh, he would be great. Big man who can protect the paint, catch lobs from Westbrook and Harden. He would be perfect with them. He he's pretty much a Steven Adams. And Adams would be good in a situation. <laughs> With Russ and Harden. I think Drummond would be a nice fit for them. So Rockets going to make some move. But Daryl Morey, um, speaking on him, yeah, he made a lot of deals, you know. Traded for Russell Westbrook. Brought in Chris Paul. Traded for him. I just signed guys to big deals, you know. He just wanted to constantly rotate teams. I don't think that's how you build teams. I don't think you have to do it by drafting and then hoping that the good guys can bring in somebody. I mean, it's not as easy as just, like, signing one guy, oh, give it two years, all right, trade him, M moving on. We're going to the next guy that we're going to pair with this person. And, and the, everyone around him plays small. We're going to sh only shoot threes. I, it's not championship basketball. It wasn't going to win. It's fun. The Rockets are a fun team. I enjoy watching them. Uh, you know, Harden can go off on the offensive end at any moment. Westbrook is electrifying when it comes to the game of basketball, always going 100%, always going hard in the paint. I mean, he's a baller. Both of them are. But they're not champion. They're not a championship-caliber team as currently constructed. And if they want to become that, they got to make major moves, and they got to do big things. Got to do big things and revamp the entire organization, and clearly that's what they're doing Bye-bye, D'Antoni. Bye-bye now, Maury. Rockets changing the entire team. <laughs> Basketball. It's going to be – this new upcoming season, the league is going to be drastically different, in my opinion. A lot of things are changing. I think every team is going to be active and make their roster better, do a number of different things. They're already showing that with the coaching decisions that teams can make now – it's going to become players. Just give it another month, and boom, right into the NBA offseason. <laughs> Let's go. Topic number five. You know, college football is in full swing, and this weekend, this upcoming weekend, is the start of the Big Ten season. So let's, as my final topic, let's just go over the rankings you know, see how they're looking for this year. Talk about a couple of the teams as we go down the list. Obviously, number one team in the country, Clemson. Those Tigers. I mean, 5-0. and I mean, they played their punter. Like, they're so good. They played their punter at quarterback. 
<laughs> they won, what, 73-3 against Georgia Tech? It was a bloodbath, an absolute massacre. Uh, 73-7. to My mistake, Georgia Tech. I shorted you four points. I'm ashamed. God. Just 5-0. and I mean, Clemson, they're best team in football. As of this point right now, college football, they are for sure the definitive number one team. They should go undefeated. The biggest game for them. And another team that I'll talk about, Notre Dame. I, November 7th. They got both teams have two games leading up to that. Wow. Well, two games leading up to that point, but that's the game. That will decide both of these teams' fate when it comes to the college football playoff and possibly, you know, winning the ACC altogether. I assume the two best teams or whoever have the two best records are going to face off for the title game. But obviously for the regular season, that's the biggest game. So I'm sure both those teams have those circled, but as a Notre Dame fan, I know hopefully Brian Kelly is telling them week by week. But let's move on to the number two team, Alabama. I mean, just another week of, you know, Nick Saban almost not coaching. He had the COVID. He tested positive and then had a false negative or something happened. He was able to coach, and they just rolled Georgia. <laughs> It's not a rivalry when one team always wins. I mean, really, like they won 41-24 against Georgia. And at no point in the game was Alabama ever concerned about what was going on and like being worried that Georgia is in control of this game. What is it? Nick Saban is 26-0 against his former coaches? Like... All, all the guys who have gotten jobs because of Nick Saban have not ever beaten Nick Saban. I, I, 26-0. I'm, what more can you say about Nick Saban? He's one of the greatest coaches ever, always has one of the best teams. I mean, Alabama. Who, who do they got that's really a threat now that LSU's having a down year? Tennessee doesn't look that great. I, Auburn, I guess, is the Iron Bowl that big? I mean, Auburn has lost some key games early. SEC is just always Alabama's year, regardless who they play and regardless of the schedule that they have. And they never have a gauntlet of games. <laughs> never. Like, they never have to worry about their schedule being difficult, even when they play in a co- conference-only schedule like they are right now. Just <laughs> ridiculous. The number three team, Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish. That's right. Number three. Moved up from number four. I... <laughs> Look, as a Notre Dame fan, I see it every year, and I know what this team is. And that's the thing. Some fan bases are delusional. I hope Notre Dame fans aren't delusional because I am not a delusional Notre Dame fan. I know what this program is. I hope for double-digit wins and that we get to the big bowl game. And I'll reiterate it, that they get there. I don't expect them to win. Because, frankly, I don't want to set myself up for too big of expectations. Notre Dame has such a difficult route to go as a program altogether. First, you have to have good academics to go there. I mean, you got to be a 4.0 student just to get in there. And then think about playing football. I mean, having a job in college with going to classes was already difficult enough. I couldn't imagine what it's like to be a student athlete and have to deal with that, especially a football player at a big-time school. Oh, my goodness. 
I mean, I know they have a lot of things going their way, but especially at Notre Dame, it's so difficult. You got to maintain grades. You got to have above what three point five or something while you're on the football team. Going there, the weather's not that great. It's in Indiana. Uh, let me tell you, it gets cold, people. I went to school in Northeast Ohio at the Bowling Green State University. It gets cold in that part of the country. South Bend was two and a half hours away. It is freezing up there come this time of year and moving into November and December. It is not nice there during this time. It's really only nice like four or five months out of the year in that part of the country, if we're going to be perfectly honest about it. If we really want to come down to it, it's like four months of great weather. But that another part of why it's not great for recruiting, like why would you want to go there other than the prestigious Notre Dame? You know, they're on TV every day. It's tough sledding for Notre Dame when it comes to the national recognition. They have it because they're the brand, but it's difficult in that aspect. So I give Notre Dame a lot of credit for what they do. I expect 10 double-digit wins get me to the bowl game. Do well. Just do well for the season. I don't expect conference championships because usually they're not in it. If they win the ACC championship this year, I would be thrilled, but I hope they go independent from now on because I want those rivalry games against the likes of Michigan, USC, Stanford. You know, I like when they play those games, how they can always play an out-of-conference game against the likes of Texas, Georgia, Ohio State because Notre Dame always has a difficult schedule. I mean, this is the easiest schedule they've ever had in a long time. They usually always play the cream-of-the-crop schools. They always have a tough schedule. Now they're playing the likes, yeah, of the ACC. That's not that great. But, hey, they got Clemson, like I said, November 7th. And then they got the Tar Heels. I know they lost, but they got them November 27th. It's, it's, a diff- it's not that difficult a schedule. Like I said, I just want them to lose one game a year, get to the bowl game, get your school the money, you know, just get there. And people want to discredit that. It's I don't have outstanding expectations for them. Because, frankly, they rarely win those big games. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen Notre Dame compete in a high-level bowl game, if we're going to be perfectly honest. Other than winning, you know, they played here in Orlando a few years ago. They won that bowl game. That was, you know, a New Year's Six bowl game. But, you know, the national championship you're, you can go all the way back when they played Alabama. They got spanked. When they played Clemson a couple years ago, they got spanked. Granted, Clemson demolished every team they played that year, but it happens. I mean, Clemson beat, crushed Alabama that year, too. So, and frankly, Notre Dame lost by less. So, you don't want to. But I digress. When it comes to Notre Dame, just be okay. Just be Better than I expect, and that's just double-digit wins and getting to the big bowl games. Just get to a New Year's Six Bowl game. Get to the college football playoff. Just get there. I'm not going in with any expectations of you winning it, nor should a lot of these fan bases. Like the likes of Georgia fans in the world, your Auburn fans of the world, your, like you can look at a lot of Pac-12 teams, a lot of Big 12 teams. Um, yeah. The likes of Michigan, Texas, Oklahoma, USC. I mean, these programs really expect national championship or bust every year. And fan bases just forget about them when they're a two-loss team that won 10 games. 
It's like you're such a fair weather fan. You can't believe they're going in every year winning national championships. Not when they have, let's say, a tough schedule. Not when they don't get the best recruits. A lot of these schools do. But it's not that easy to put all the pieces together to make it work. College football is so unpredictable. That's why a lot of people love it. That's why it has huge followings and huge fan bases. Because anything can happen. But it's pretty relevant to know who's actually in the true national championship picture. I know these programs, they have big names, they have big brands, the likes, yes, of your Notre Dames, of your Floridas, of your Georgias. Uh, just, you, you want Texas, Oklahoma, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, who, uh, USC, Oregon, Auburn. Yeah, these schools need to understand, and the fan bases do too, that it, it's not that easy to just go out and expect your team to go undefeated and to get national championships. How often does that ever happen in your program's history? You can't expect national championship or bust each year. That's the mentality I go in as a Notre Dame fan. (laughs) And you could say, oh, that's weak. That's a cop-out for doing that and not expecting your team to be great. Hey, they're great when they win 11 games and go to the Orlando Bowl, the Camping World Bowl. Yeah, you bet they get that million dollars or they go to – the Cotton Bowl and get spanked by Clemson or the Fiesta Bowl or the Sugar Bowl. You know, they go to any of them. I'm happy my team got there. That's how a lot of teams need to go. But I digress. As far as the rest of the top 25, you know, Georgia sits at number four after the Alabama loss. Ohio State hasn't played a game first game this weekend, though. They go up against Nebraska. They're number five. It's it's going to be weird to see how they do these rankings, especially when the Pac-12 starts in November. How they're going to do it when one team has <laughs> like one win, two wins compared to a team that has seven or eight wins. Uh, how are we going to do the math there and calculate that? Hmm? It's uh, Let me tell you, these voters are going to have their handful when selecting. I mean, the four best teams I think will shake out, but to really decide bowl games and everything like that, It's going to be tricky. These rankings are going to be tough this year. It's going to be very intriguing to see how they uh, decide who are the top teams and what criteria they go by, especially with a shortened season for everyone, you know, really conference only all around the board. So, but Oklahoma state, they're three and oh, they're at number six, number seven, Texas A&M, they're three and one Penn state. They're number eight, Cincinnati, the really only non-Big Five school. Actually, there's a couple more. Oh, there is a couple more. Yeah, well, we'll get to them in a second. Yeah. Cincinnati, number nine, the American Athletic Conference. Usually it's UCF, but they've struggled. So Cincinnati coming through. Florida, two and one. They're number 10. Ridiculous. 11, Miami, the U. Number 12, BYU. 11, Oregon. They haven't played, like I said, Pac-12 starts in November. Wisconsin, they're right there with Oregon at 15. SMU is at 16, another American Athletic Conference team. At number 17, Iowa State. At 18, Michigan. 19, Virginia Tech. Kansas State, 20. They're 3-1 and one at number 21. Another Big Ten team, Ohio, uh, the Minnesota 22, Marshall, they're 4-0. Oh. 
20, uh, NC State four and one. USC, look at that coming in, haven't played a game tw- at twenty four, and <laughs> Coastal Carolina, number twenty five, just outside Memphis, Oklahoma, not ranked. That's great to see. Just some of these teams are struggling, but really, it's the same thing every year with college football. You can literally cut that list in half, and I wouldn't worry about the other teams. No disrespect. No disrespect to those mid-majors. I'm really only following one mid-major, and that's my alma mater. And they're terrible. But they're coming back. Bowling Green, here we go. (laughs) Everyone's playing. It's great. College football is back in full force. Let's go Irish. Let's get to my unpopular opinion. I'll make it nice and quick for you. Look, The NFL is great. I love the game, of course. It's very violent, though. We all know that. You know, it's just part of football. You know, that's what it is. It's barbaric. That's why we enjoy it. We enjoy the big hits, the smackdowns, the bodying people, the smack of the helmet and the pads. It's just that's how it goes. That's why we enjoy the game. But there's one part of the game we could make safer, even though that happens. And that's what they need to get rid of kickoffs. It shouldn't be a thing. I mean, it's obviously the most dangerous part, you know, running full speed just into each other. You know, that mm, doesn't sound like that great of an idea. It really doesn't. And at this point, when was the last time you saw a kick return taken back to the house? Like, really, I, I don't recall it happening anytime recently. I, I cannot think of the highlight where someone has brought it back to the house on a kickoff. It just doesn't happen anymore. It really doesn't. So that's why I think they just need to get rid of it. Just start the ball on the 15 or 20-yard line. There we go. Problem solved. It is what the AAF did. Now, I know the AAF collapsed, but it was one of the better rules that they had. When I worked for the Orlando Apollos, I stood on the sideline. Every game, I got to see it. You know, kickoff right after the extra point. You know, you give it a minute. Catch their breath, TV timeout, boom, right out. We start at the 20-yard line. There it is. We're getting right going to it. And really, every time a kickoff happens, it's a touchback. The guy might get back to, as always, like the 20-yard line, maybe to the 25, sometimes past the 30. But I really cannot recall a big kick return on a kickoff. It just doesn't happen anymore. It really doesn't. So they need to get rid of it and just start them at the 20-yard line, give them 80-yard drives every time. If you want to make it more difficult, make it the NFL, put them on the 15 then. Put them on the 15. Make them go 85 yards every time. And then obviously, you know, keep everything else. That's the only rule change I want from the NFL. Just get rid of the kickoffs. They're pointless now. There's no point to have them. It's always a touchback. Or, you know, it doesn't go anywhere. Or it's a nothing return. So, there's my unpopular opinion, and that's the end of episode 33 of the Hang Time with Helgi podcast. Thanks for listening. You know, as always, check me out on social media. Feel free to hit me up. Uh, But other than that, you know, stay safe, people. Wash your damn hands, too. You know, we're still in this pandemic. Ah, we've been at it too long. I'm over it, that's for sure. But we keep plugging away day at a time. All right, I'm out. Peace.